0: The Burger Creek Productions 15 minutes of Fame podcast features multi-instrumentalist Cam of the Catskill Region Awful house records. Here's the song I think I broke my time machine from his latest project, John's Coltrane. I
1: think I broke my time machine in the 70s, I've been back in 85 At least I know my mom was alive I'm Looking for my time to shame But I think I'll be fighting And we'll be trying to move you to town I guess I'll see you on the other side
0: Welcome back. I'm glad you uh, you wanted to do this again. I know there's uh, we have much to discuss on this uh, on this episode. So, without uh, further ado, I'm uh, I'm welcoming a very wonderful human being. Um, his name is Cam. He plays with, well, I should say, represents a number of different groups. Um, in in your past, I guess, so to speak, the Pom Pom Girls, the Pretty Lips, and your most recent uh, project, John's Cult Train. Um. Let's try this again for a second time. Welcome, my friend. I I appreciate you taking some time.
2: Well, thank you for having me again. After uh after the mishaps that happened in between then <laughs> and now, there's a lot to cover.
0: Well, that's good. Now we'll we'll kind of we'll get right into it. You you have a new project. Um, it, it's kind of morphed a little bit. It, it, it's final iteration. John's train. And you dropped an album called "American Breakfast" on Valentine's Day, twenty twenty-one. Um, I know this because of what you've shared with me outside of these recorded conversations. But from the onset of this project, how has it morphed to become what it is today? Slash when it was released on Valentine's Day.
2: Well, this is a little bit of a long conversation, and I'm gonna, or at least a long answer. So I'm gonna do my best to. I guess protect the innocent and the not so innocent involved <laughs> in this because you know I'm not trying to start a big thing. But uh, so uh, the Pretty Lips, we did a thing for Box Fest and we played a sh- we played a show. Um, you know that was a big deal being able to like be outside and do a socially distant raver where people were kind of into it. It was nice. And then I want to say like a week or so afterward, I'm like trying to get ready for the next thing I want to start working on. Come on, feel the pretty lips too, which was supposed to be either an EP or an album at that point. And then I kind of got approached by Phil and Nick, who they both said like, Hey, listen, we really liked working with you. We really like what you do. We kind of want to do something a little bit different and go off in a separate direction, but we would still like you to join us for this thing. And I said, yeah, sure. Why not? And we kind of went through, um, a couple months of practices and trying to like get these songs down because i had written a lot of songs that were again they were going to be for a pretty lips album Mm -hmm. so we practiced it and then eventually we recorded it we were actually going to go by a different band name but i'll get to that in a little bit so we started recording all this stuff we get it all finished and then about a week or so after the recording more like at the uh end of january beginning of february i get this uh i guess kind of train dropped on me from nick and phil that apparently they don't feel comfortable working together in the context of a band because they feel like i'm the like i wrote all the songs and that it's my ideas my songs my covers that i suggested playing and all of that and so they were just like this is sort of your solo project now you can kind of do it whatever the hell you want with it and you know i said immediately like okay first thing i'm doing is changing the name because what we were working with at the time it worked but it wasn't great so i changed it to john's cult train because i figured that's catchier that's going to get people hooked a little bit more i guess cuz there's a lot of power in a name. I don't think people realize that anymore.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I, I definitely agree with that. Definitely agree with that.
2: So what you're hearing on the album is still pretty much what it was supposed to be anyway. It's just, it went through a couple different iterations and is under some different contexts.
0: Excellent. Now was, was the plan, cause I know Nate from black Mesa also had some input into the record. Was that Was was he kind of slated to to lean in or was that something brought on after some of these additional changes had already happened?
2: Um, This is stuff that happened during the middle of the recording sessions, because before before we really started recording, we kind of went through some planning and we asked, like, okay, well, what do we want to do? What do we want to sound like? You know, Nick, he was very hell bent on, like, oh, I spent however much money on all these pedals. I would rather try to make sounds myself and it was nothing personal towards him because I, I like Nick. I like his playing. He's got an ear for things that I didn't even know could be possible. Mm-hmm. But I also wanted to get some outside ears involved. And considering how well Nate handled the challenge of producing and working on Wasted Affair for the Pom Pom Girls, I said, no, we need to like give Nate a call because he knows what he's doing. And obviously that's not to say that Nick doesn't know what he's doing, but I felt like my gut move was we need Nate involved. And it's nice to know that that ended up being the smart decision to make.
0: Yeah. No, I think, I think ultimately it it turned out great. (laughs) First of all, it turned out really great. And one of the things that I found to be fascinating uh, you know, with the record aside from you know the the backstory that you had shared with me, obviously what you just shared now, but the fact of the matter is that it seems like it, from the outside, from an outsider perspective, the Pretty Lips as well as John's Coltrane, it's it's kind of. Think of it like a freeze, like a a point in time that's frozen, and like a specific set of ideas that were hashed at that time. Versus one conti, like taking for example, like the Pom palm, palm Gross, right? I don't right. know too much about your writing process, but I know that you have a very extensive discography over the course of like a a, pr- a relatively long period of time. When we're talking in terms of bands, right? So right. to see these different iterations of your, uh, you know, kind of artistic. Uh, you know, voice. It's it's very cool to see that because it manifests itself in different ways, right? Like one of the things that we talked about before with Pretty Lips is you playing guitar. That was like a big thing. And there was obviously, um, you had a tie-in specifically with that guitar, if I remember correctly.
2: Yeah, that, the guitar that we used and that I used when I played for Box Fest is actually John Santana's 12-string guitar. And I had been like, you know, I'd been practicing these songs and working out these ideas on it whenever I would go to visit him. And then on the day that Phil and I were going to record that EP, I'm like, "Hey, is it all right if I borrow the 12-string guitar?" And he's like, "Yeah, that's fine." Do you need anything else? I'm like, uh, do you want to come? Because I would have felt like a dick for being like, "I just borrow your guitar and not you." And, right. You know, so he came and he watched Phil and I do our process over a couple hours. He also contributed hand claps and some backing vocals, and it was it was good stuff. And you know, it it sucks that that uh he couldn't come along for John's Colt train. Unfortunately that was not a decision that I was a big fan of and unfortunately it wasn't I would have been outvoted to one on trying to get him back in anyway. But you know, he and I are still working together on the pretty lips. We're trying to find ideas for the future and ways to make certain projects come to life.
0: Excellent. Now I, I believe the the interview that we ended up scrapping. Um, we did touch on a little bit uh, about the demise of the Pom Pom Girls. And if you I don't know if that's something you want to revisit. Um,
2: Yeah, let's talk.
0: All right. So so kind of walk me through a little bit uh, about what went into that decision, because, you know, from all accounts, you know, the the Pom Pom Girls played numerous, numerous shows. You released a myriad of of albums, you know, whether it's releases in general. Right. And then this appeared to suddenly you guys just basically closed shop. So what what happened? What happened?
2: Okay, so I guess the thing to first touch up upon is obviously it wasn't just like we collectively threw our hands in the air and we we're like, okay, that's it, we're breaking up. Mm-hmm. But it, there was obviously a lot of stuff going into it uh, back. It, it, I, I could go all the way back to the beginning of the formation of the project, but that's not, not that's not really here. They're all cut to 2017. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Pom Pom Girls had released this album called Tomboy, and it was it was and still is very different from what the Pom Pom Girls did. I tried to do a lot more singing on it. There was a lot more experimentation, a lot less obvious Pom Pom vibes, I guess. And around that time, I was going through a series of mental health issues, and I kind of had a nervous breakdown around that time. And I was like, okay, that's it. I'm not gonna do any more music because I'm getting fed up with like get being frustrated every time I pick up a guitar. Mm-hmm. And then around that time, that's when my friend James lunchbox, that's when he died. And so we played box fest and that was supposed to be like our last performance. Cause I was done. I was like, I was fed up with this shit. And then we, well, I, at the time was just sort of doing my own thing. And then I get asked by, my now friend mike Dietz, who i didn't really know at the time like hey uh we heard about you through lunchbox he really liked you guys he would- wouldn't shut up about you for a little bit we're doing a cassette release show would you consider playing this thing and i didn't have a band at the time uh, at the time our drummer eli Mamedi. he was focusing on college. He was focusing on his own band. And obviously I'm not going to blame him for that. I'm not mm-hmm. going to, that's not his fault. I completely respect. Like if you want to focus on your primary creative vision, go for it. I'm not going to stop you. So I did this show and, you know, soon enough, one show became another show. And then another and another, another, and that went on for about a year or so. And then around the time I had met Eliza, the the drummer, he I was he and I had met and I was at this point where I was like you know, I was getting tired of constantly playing like the same set list and the same songs. I wanna start writing new stuff and all that. And that was also around the time that I had put out the Co Ed Fever album, which because again I wanted to start putting out new songs, I figured like this is a nice way to dip my toes back in the waters and see how I feel. Sure. So. So I do that, and then I end up meeting Eliza like a month afterward, and we hit it off, and he agrees to be the drummer. And, you know, around like a couple of months after we started playing shows together, we recorded Blood and Lace, and then just kept playing shows. and we kept playing, did a lot of shows and then, At the end of 2019, I kind of had gone through some traumatic events. I'm not going to get into specifics about that at the moment, Mm -hmm. uh, because I'll be bringing it up later anyway. And I decided that the best way to work through that was through writing music. And, you know, the whole time Eliza was very supportive, and he kind of was more of a therapist than any person should be to anyone else without getting paid. And I am thankful he did that for me. So we played a lot of shows and then it started coming to a head when we played our first show of 2020, which was, and like this kind of medium-sized basement in New Palts, and it was packed with college kids, who most of whom I assume had never seen or heard of us before. And by the end of it, everyone was like, "Who are you guys? Are you on? Are you on Spotify? Let me follow you on Instagram. This, that, and the other thing." Then we played Punk Prom, which you know you were there,
0: dude. Wonderful, but wonderful. If
2: anybody- to anybody who wasn't there, Punk Prom was a festival that I had put together for the day after Valentine's Day, 2020. And I was like, oh, okay, well, this is going to be a nice thing. Cause not for nothing. Uh, I think Valentine's Day is the worst time of the year. And anybody who mm-hmm. is actively into that kind of makes me sad. So mm-hmm. I wanted to do something to be like, Hey, today might suck, but tomorrow we're going to have a big show. So come on down. And, you know, there was a lot of bands there. And one of the, issues that had come up at that point was that this one band who shall remain nameless had asked if we could if they could play punk prom and between you and i and to anybody who knows who i'm talking about these guys weren't necessarily a bad band like they had this album had a lot of really good stuff on it they had they were good songwriters but they were more focused on like playing shows and trying to play punk rock dress up than actually like being a good band. So I would go see their shows, and it was, to put it nicely, it was the worst thing I had seen. And, you know, people who had also gone to shows, they would tell me and they would tell other members of the band, like, this is the worst thing we have ever seen. So, you know, I didn't want friends of mine going up on stage when they clearly weren't ready and just completely bombing in front of however many people because that was going to be a big deal so i tried telling them gently like listen uh i like you guys a lot i just don't think this is the right thing for you guys at the moment but i'll keep you in mind for future shows it's not a personal thing whatever and they said like oh yeah that's fine that's cool And then I wake up the next morning to see a barrage of messages from the bass player and the guitarist singer telling me how I'm such a scumbag because how dare I put a show on in their hometown and not invite them. And that after all they did for me, which admittedly wasn't a whole lot, you know, how dare I don't put them on for the show. But the real kicker was when the singer guitar player said, you know, for somebody who worships Lunchbox so much, you really don't follow in his footsteps, at all, and You're a real fucking scumbag. Jesus and then Christ. I told, and I told him like, you better watch your mouth before I kick your ass. And he's like, Lunchbox wasn't Jesus, so shut the fuck up, fanboy. Whoa. And part of the issue there was that I was trying to talk to Eliza about this, and like, I don't know how comfortable I feel with this. And he was trying to say, like, oh, just let them play the show. Then hopefully they won't be like this anymore. They just—and he basically was trying to make me feel like an asshole because I wasn't just going to be like, yeah, let's give you guys a spot on the show. And, you know, so that happened. And then around this time, Eliza had started seeing this girl. And it was obvious that he was, like, way too focused on her because we were set to do a show near the beginning of March. And it was actually one that you had booked, if you remember. Oh, yeah. And, you know, so he knew about this thing months in advance. It's not like I dropped this on him at the last moment. He's trying to say, like, oh, well, I I have work the next day. and I, I don't know if I can stay out late. And, again, knew about this. And I told him, like, you knew about this. We're doing the show. We'll leave early if it's that important. And then he's saying like, oh well, I still have homework I need to do, and I'm like, okay, fine. We won't do the pre gig practice like we normally do. We'll just go directly to the thing. And at some point, I kind of put together from what he was telling me that he had spent the entire week beforehand hanging out with this girl, and that he kind of shot himself in the foot that way. And you know, so I pretty much screamed to him like I knew what was going on. And mm-hmm. I apologized later on for overreacting, but at the same time, I kind of hate being that guy who has to cancel a gig because of other people right and you know i just i don't like being that guy especially consider if if it's one thing it's like i'm sick and throwing up and i don't feel good and i have to cancel show fine so be it i'll i'll swallow my own pride but when i'm the one who's like doing all the behind the scenes work and all i'm getting is oh well i just don't know if i can do this anymore and the real (laughs) kicker was it wasn't the real kicker was that the last thing that he mentioned was that like the last excuse was, Oh, well, I'm worried about COVID and then the pandemic, which, you know, it would have made sense if this was like further along, but you know, he knew about this and decided that that was going to be the last excuse at that point. I just sort of threw my hands up in the air and gave up. And, you know, shows started getting canceled one by one, that's sad and everything. And then he mentions he's going to be moving in with this girl uh, Dave Baccio comes by to film us doing our last practice and he's got video of that and I've been trying to get him to send that to me so I can do the edits on it or whatever but it's it's another thing I'm, we got photos which is good for now but he moves in with this girl and then it starts to become like this thing and we would practice and she would be there and I'm saying like hey I'm a little uncomfortable with having another person in that practice sitting in with us and watching and all that because now i feel like i have to perform for an audience right and he's trying to make it sound like oh well you know she's my partner we have to be everywhere together we have to do things together and i'm just like okay he's he's still dating her he's still in the honeymoon phase whatever i don't care and then this kind of keeps going on and a little bit for more aggression towards it keeps building up and up and then I remember at one point she kind of tried doing this thing where I don't know if you've ever had to deal with this, but it's kind of in the tone of kind of joking, but not really. Like you know, if <laughs> if you're asking me something and I say no, you can just be like, "Oh well, I was only kidding anyway." That sort of thing.
0: There's, I I feel like a lot of times there's truth there's more truth in that than I think people realize that there's, it, there's always some like deep, I, I don't know. You can just, t- you can tell, intuitively you can pick up on that shit. It's not very difficult to do so. And when people automatically, that is their kind of, that's what they defer back to. It's like, really though, there, there's, there's gotta be some shreds
2: of truth in there. You how, Tell me how you really feel that type of shit, right? Yeah. And so she tried pulling this kind of kidding, but not really. on um thing on me where she's saying like oh well do you guys need a singer because I can sing and I picked up on that and I told her like I'm sorry but the only people allowed to sing my songs are myself my friend Mike Dietz who you've seen come up and sing songs at shows Mm -hmm. and Lunchbox who unfortunately is no longer with us so he can't make it right now (laughs) and I can tell he's like kind of mad at me for not being on board with this idea Eliza and so I just brush it off as being whatever. And then at the beginning of June, I kind of go through a, a bad breakup with a son who I kind of thought I had a future with. And it was depressing. It kind of felt like the rug had gotten pulled out from underneath me. And I'm trying to like hang out with him. Cause I don't really have any other friends and we're in the middle of a pandemic. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to hang out with him. And once again, he, he and her are both just like latched together at the hip and they're making me feel very awkward, third wheeled, whatever. And, you know, this goes on for a little bit more. I have my birthday party on the 18th of June, which is the day after my birthday. And the whole time he's like, kind of trying to make me feel bad about the fact that I said that she couldn't come you know, he's trying to be like, oh, well, she's my partner. I haven't been away from her for this long and however long. And I need to get back to her at this time just so I could be with her again because we got stuff going on. And I just miss her so much and all that. Like, really making me feel like shit when I'm already going through a lot. You know, it was that. It was also the breakup. It was also the fact that I was turning 25 and I'm kind of like starting to go through a quarter life crisis about it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'm trying not to be a dick. And I, again, try not to be a dick. We're, getting prepped for a show that we had on in the on the 26th it was like a party that we had gotten invited to by a biker gang like way late last year and we said yes because we're like that six months away we could totally do that and we do the thing but the day before the show he and i sit down and i have a talk and i tell him like listen i'm going through a lot right now and it doesn't help that like I'm going through the breakup, and every time I try to, like, talk to you about it or hang out, she's always got to be there. I don't like the fact that I'm feeling third-wheeled by everything, and I don't feel comfortable with the fact that she's, like, clearly done certain things that I'm not comfortable with. And instead of trying to, like, I don't know, meet me halfway on it or even, like, talking out or trying to compromise about something, he just chooses to write it off by saying, like, oh, well, if you're uncomfortable around her, then you're uncomfortable around me and i just i've said okay well that's it because i also told him like not for nothing you know we were in the middle of a pandemic the album wasn't selling that well because you know we were trying to do what we could but no one wanted to buy these tapes and that definitely stung a lot because i was writing some really personal stuff at the time and Mm. I'm, like, trying to reiterate all this to him. I'm telling him, like, this is how I feel, and I'm not telling you that you need to change or anything, just I feel uncomfortable comfortable with these things. And, again, to be written off like that, it hurts. And getting back to the way thing in 2017... I was in a really rough spot when that happened. And then when I got asked to do the show in 2018 and things start going along again, I said, fine, but if at any point I feel like I'm no longer having fun or that I'm just, I don't want to be here anymore. I'm going to say, that's it. And I said, that's it. We played our last show the day after we had made that announcement that we were breaking up and we were originally supposed to do a couple other shows, but you know, one by one, he chooses to cancel, them because you know either he can't find a way to bring her along or it's just some last minute thing where he's not feeling well and i brought back the last of the gear that was his to his place and we talked about the possibility of getting back together to do something for box fest because he knew like lunchbox was my friend that's my boy right there Mm And we had talked about it, and we threw the idea out there, and we kind of just both agreed, like, "Mm, maybe, but if that one band that I had an issue with was going to be there, that we wouldn't play. Right. And, you know, and then obviously things happened. He and I got into some arguments, and, you know, just that's how that happened. And. It's weird now because people have asked if I would consider bringing the project back, and realistically, yeah, I would love to. But I would want to do it under certain context, because I feel like just bringing the project back would would uh, kind of reek of very sellout vibes. Like, I'm doing this because this is my popular project, and this is the only way people are going to care, in a
0: way. right
2: and you know people have asked and i said the only way i could see it working is if either a i managed to get like one of the people from the original lineup together or if i could like get a lineup of all female identifying musicians together and Mm -hmm. like i could just play bass to you know some female identifying drummer and singer both doing their thing because i think that could be pretty rad yeah but that's that and then you know i had all these songs that we were going to start writing for the album after wasted affair together and i used some of those on come on feel the pretty lips i used a track or two for american breakfast but aside from that that's really it the, and yeah it sucks because he was my best friend and when i was going through a very low point in my life he really showed his true colors but that's just the way the cookie crumbles sometimes. I hope he's doing well, and I hope that he's happy with her, and I hope that, you know, that he doesn't look back and think that he fucked up. Because even though I might personally think that he did, if he doesn't, then that's on him.
0: Well, I'm, uh, I'm, I I'm, really appreciate you, you know, kind of the walking that back, and, and not even walking back, but just walking me through the different steps, because— the one thing that, that I picked up on the first time we talked about it, and then obviously now, um, there's a lot of moving parts. It's not one one massive thing, right? It was a series of things that built into this. And uh, I don't know, I, I find more often than not, specifically with music projects, um you know, people I think take being in a band for granted, um, especially people that don't play music. I think it's it's easy to be in a band, but it's hard to make a, a band work. And even with just two people, right? Let alone four, right? Yeah, <laughs> you know, or three and, other people, you know.
2: And it's it's tough because you know, I didn't want to speak about this publicly for a long time because I, you know, like not for nothing pom-pom kind of has a lot of these fanboys now and i don't say that in a bad way just like you know there have been a lot of these people who have come out of the woodwork who were like oh i was at this show it was one of the greatest nights of my life and you know i refused to get public about that for a long time because i didn't want these dudes trying to write this girlfriend off as a yoko which Mm -hmm. that's got like a whole bunch of sexist racist problematic connotations to it and i'm not I'm not trying to have that happen, but at the same time, I kind of realize I can't keep protecting the feelings of people who clearly never gave a fuck about mine.
0: Yeah, it's that is tiring.
2: <laughs> and you know, th- that's those pe, bleh. those pieces I mentioned. That's also not including a, like a couple of my personal perceptions of certain things that you know I don't want to go on the record and say like, oh, well, this was clearly going on in X, Y, and Z because. You know, I might I might be an asshole right now for having just unloaded that entire thing, but there's a whole lot more I could have gone deeper on.
0: Well, um, like I said, I'm I'm glad that we did we did have that, or I was able to kind of you know talk about this again with you because I think it's important. I think it's important to understand kind of the the story behind it, um, as it were. Now, s- switching gears slightly. Um, because I know the we had uh, initially had chatted uh, a little bit about Britney Spears, and I, I'm before we launch and before I launch in this question, did you end up seeing that documentary, the Framing Britney Spears documentary?
2: I haven't. However, I've seen some of the uh, the responses that have come from it and things that have been spawned because of it, and I'm not sure if i want to check it out just because of how these certain things came out but i do agree with the general idea that you know for the most part Brittany is someone who should be able to manage certain things on her own accord and that if if things with her father under his conservatorship were as bad as people want to say it is then you know then it's a good thing that he's no longer involved in certain aspects of it
0: yeah i i think what what's What's tough about the whole thing combined with the actual documentary itself is ultimately we don't really hear it. We don't hear necessarily from the parties involved outside of um, what's reported publicly, right? There isn't a sit down with the father, right? There isn't a a sit down with Brittany. We don't get that at all. We get kind of the third party stuff, right? We had her at one point. It was like her her first like personal assistant, and then it's one of the lawyers that that she she had approached. Like you, you were getting these kind of outsider things, and unfortunately, when you go about that, when when you take that approach and you release it, and everybody consumes it, and then everybody kind of spins out and spirals out in their own opinions, it kind of fractures. I think. Uh, potentially some of the truth that that really is important to understand because i agree i'm i'm totally in agreement with you and have been for a very long time she she deserves to make her own decisions and I, oh god
2: I, i'm sorry i believe that she should make her own decisions however if again i haven't seen the documentary but if that's seriously how it goes out i would like to say that the thing is, like, this is ultimately just a, a singular side of the story, you know? Exactly. And that that's the thing about stories. I mean, there's always going to be different sides to it. Like, I, for example, I can admit, like, yeah, I have my story about what happened with the pom-pom breakup, but Eliza could come in and be like, yeah, but what you're not telling them is that I'm finally happy with someone and you couldn't accept that. I'd be like, sir, I'm in the middle of doing a document, not documentary, a podcast right now. <laughs> you know, and for example, I'm sure if we did get the dad's side of the story, he could say, like, well, not for nothing that my daughter ended up having a public – a widely publicly known mental episode or episodes through pretty much a good chunk of 2007. And under my conservatorship, I did what I could to help reel her in, and mm-hmm. I'm looking at her best interest. And if that's the case, then so be it. But that's still just another side of the story, and – you know, people don't want to have that conversation because I'm, like you said, I think a lot of people are just shooting off their own opinions about what's happening, and they're talking about it in terms of absolutes. And exactly. I don't think that's the way to go about the nuance of the Britney Spears experience right now.
0: Well, I think I think too the 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 main part, and this doesn't spoil anything um, about like the documentary or whatever. But aside from the fact that they don't sit down with Britney, they don't sit down with Jamie, the. Big thing that they kind of draw back to is at one point there was a like a, a a blood test or there was a test that was conducted on Brittany and following that they didn't release what the test results were that not necessarily a toxicity report but it was there was a, there was a I think it was a drug test of some kind and they withheld what the results were but those results as far as the documentary posited. Those results were one of the main things that led, you know, Jamie to say, hey, you know, I'm still <laughs> I, I'm I'm, I'm taking charge. I'm continuing to take charge, blah, blah, blah. So that I found interesting. And we still don't know what that is. We don't know what the results of that test were. Um, and who knows? Who knows what that is? Again, you and I were I'm sharing this with you and it's not an opinion. It's what was stated in the in the documentary. So. Um, it's, it's interesting to see how people react to those types of things, because obviously a conservatorship, um, you know, that is reserved for people that can't make their own decisions like outright, you know, like at all regarding finances and things like that. She's, a, she's a young woman, you know, so it makes it, it does, it does. Oh, there are more questions as, uh, than answers as a result of having seen that and having been following this for quite some time anyway. Um, but I, I, I think at some point w- when we know a little bit more, possibly, it might be good to check it out because it's interesting. It is interesting because it also kind of touches upon, you know, the whole drama between like Justin Timberlake and Britney when they broke up and it was cheat cheat on me, blah, blah, blah. And it just talked a l- slightly touched on like some, you know, misogynistic yeah. type elements of how the just in the and then the the other thing that was really interesting was how disturbing the cult of the paparazzi was at that time. Tabloids, all that shit. That was, that was interesting.
2: I think it's interesting that Justin Timberlake kind of did this thing in response to the people realizing like, Hey, he was kind of shitty for doing X, Mm -hmm. Y, and Z, That he didn't really, I guess he could have gone worse about it, but he kind of just put out that statement that was like, to Brittany and to Janet Jackson, I apologize for the things that I did to you and that ended up ruining your careers or lives or whatever. And, you know, I appreciated the sentiment, but felt A, it was too little, too late, but B, to say, oh, Brittany and Janet, I'm both going to apologize to you individually while apologizing. And I guess a note, I didn't, I don't remember what it was, but, you know, like there's better ways to go about it. And he kind of dropped the ball on that. And, mm-hmm. you know, I get it. It's, easy to want to come up with this narrative of, like, oh, this girl broke my heart, so I'm going to do a thing, but, like, do better, you yeah. know? I, I can admit that a lot of my uh, my music is centered around heartbreak and things of that nature, but it's still a giant case of, like, do better.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. Now, um, I did learn back when we had recorded uh, the first, I guess, take of this episode you know, on top of you being a songwriter, composer, frontman, singer, bassist, guitarist, um, and you're also extremely photogenic, you had wrapped up a book that you had been writing. And are we any closer to is that has that been released? Are there kind of talks to have this released? What was uh, what's the, uh, what the what is the book about? If okay. you can, if you can speak to that a little bit, because I find that very fascinating.
2: Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, the name of the book is called "The Joys of Bowling" or "My Complete Se- History of Sexual Failure," and it's kind of a a collection of short stories in like in manuscript form, like you know, like you know what they would give to actors and actresses for reading their lines and everything, something like that. And it kind of just touches on a lot of things that are inspired by conversations or events that happened in my life so even though i'm not directly pulling from any like any specific thing like oh i'm gonna talk about the time that i had like this really awkward first date that turned out to not actually be a first date and then you know stuff like that but Mm -hmm. I, i do have certain references to these things and uh, right now the book has been finished for however long i'm just like i'm going through the first draft right now i'm trying to read and think like is this something that i would feel comfortable putting out into the world right now
1: mm-hmm. and
2: you know there's obviously lots of things that i need to dive deeper into and that i really need to like call a little bit more because i don't want to just put out like an a however many page thing and be going, <laughs> <laughs> going. Um, but you know and also there's a I started writing that thing in 2015 and there's a lot of things that uh I don't want to say haven't aged well but it's I'm going to be honest it's very much told from the perspective of myself and my fictionalized versions of myself throughout this thing so there's a lot of like Oh, like in certain parts, I had a friend who was going over this and he was me like, oh, well, it seems like there's a real lack of uh, female characters in this thing. And, and I said, like, this isn't this isn't necessarily an intentional thing, but also I don't want to shoehorn in a character just for the sake of being like, oh, I have a female character that makes me woke or whatever. Right. I Because I think that trying to force a character in there who doesn't belong in the situation can sometimes be worse than just not including a character at all.
0: Mhm. I think that's that's imp- it's the sake of doing something versus doing it for the art, right? Saying to I did it basically saying i'm doing this because i felt like i i had to or someone told me to and hey look i did this right drawing attention to the fact that you did this it's just i i completely understand i completely understand what you're saying
2: right i mean and it's kind of a whole thing like when i was writing wasted affair uh there was a lot of lyrics that i wrote and i felt like i guess to give some some context to the to the album itself there was a friend of mine who had been a part of my life for a long time and she and i kind of had disagreements about a few things and we kind of just were like completely worn out on each other after having been friends for god knows how long and i wrote a lot of these songs from like the perspective of a very emo heartbreaky type of thing but i also tried to put in certain perspectives like yes but i could also acknowledge i'm a little bit of an asshole because i was doing this that and their thing on all these things you know i think that having that sort of self-awareness was kind of important
0: interesting now so going back to uh going back to the the latest release john's call train american breakfast that is available now um you know, obviously, I I think I've kind of directed people when I've done posts and stuff to your Instagram page. It's it's on the Awful House Bandcamp uh, page as well. So definitely check that out. Um, now, as we had kind of talked before, we're, we're big Britney, Britney fans, and I'm curious about your selection of "Designed to Rework Baby One More Time as a cover to be featured on the record because I think that's a really, like creepy Britney Spears song just in general it's super creepy like the double vocal parts like where everything drops off in the original recording now were there any other songs that you were considering recording as far as Britney's music was concerned and and or if you had to make a choice to cover another one of her songs what might you choose
2: well I guess to try and address all that uh well you point out the main thing which is why i wanted to cover that particular song which is that like yeah it's supposed to be like this very sexy seductive love song but the lyrics are kind of just creepy and the way that she's doing that like how oh, baby, baby <laughs> like that really breathy girly sound it just it comes off a little bit creepy and actually the thing about this song is that it was a song that i originally arranged a version of for when the pom-pom girls was still doing its thing and for our last show we actually did end up playing that as our last song but you know i kind of wanted to do something that would be like you know just like a little bit of a drop and then just like completely blast off with it and that's part of why i chose that the other thing and this is actually a fun story was that if covid had not happened the pom-pom girls would have been playing a show at the same place that punk prom happened, but we would have been opening up for the murder junkies, which was Gigi Allen's backing band for a little while. Yes. Now here's the thing. And I know that this is going to be like pissing on the sacred cow or whatever for some, I fucking hate Gigi Allen. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> think that the man was a try-hard poser who didn't do anything of substance, and his whole idea was just being angry and loud and shitting on yourself for the sake of being angry and loud and shitting on yourself. Like, at least with Johnny Rotten, I fucking hate that guy, but at least you could, like, kind of pull at some strings and be like, oh, well, this was what he was trying to get at. So, around this time, <laughs> Eliza and I had made this, we had this discussion, like, okay, if we end up playing the show, what should we do? And I'm the one who made the suggestion, like, we should cover Baby One More Time by Britney Spears, but we should both be in, like, you know, like, kind of dressed the way that she was dressed in the music video for that, with, like, the skirt and the button-up and, like, have my hair in pigtails, because this was when my hair was still, like, really long. Mm
1: -hmm.
2: And at one point, I was considering, like trying to get Nate and Tyler from Black Mesa and Dan from Dark Hippie to all come in on this and make it like a full band thing and turn it into like a 20 minute just sludgy jam fest and then have that be our set for the night on top of uh, The Kind of Guy I Am and Cotton Candy and You know, obviously, because of COVID, that never happened, but I kept the cover in my back pocket. Like, we should do this because that would be fucking hilarious. Mm -hmm. And it would like piss off some of the punk purists or whatever. And, so that's part of why we did that. And admittedly, there were some other Britney Spears songs I was thinking about, like Toxic, for example, that feels like it works well for a lot of uh, rock based stuff. I could also say the same with Womanizer to an extent, because it kind of has that, uh, like if I was going to do it a would kind of have like, that Paul Mute chugging, so like, dun, 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 dun,
1: mm-hmm.
2: sort of thing going to it. But those are songs I considered, but then uh, I stuck with Baby one more time, because that's like, that's a that's a universal song everybody knows that you know i feel like it, even though yes toxic and womanizer are also like well-known britney songs to a lesser extent they don't have the same brand awareness of oh baby baby how was awesome <laughs> and you know so we did that then we had done the version that we did box box fest for the pretty lips and then we did the version that we do on John's Train, where that closed off the record. And admittedly, I'm a little bummed that it only ended up being like a two minute long thing. Cause I wanted to kind of keep the spirit of the original idea in mind and turn it into a God knows how long sludgy jam. Mm-hmm. But I think it kind of in hindsight, in the context of the record kind of ends at the right moment.
0: <laughs> yeah, I, I, I would, I would agree with that. And Um, to, to touch on, you know, some of the other ideas you were floating around, uh, for covers too, if you haven't heard it, and this is something I'd mentioned to Terry, um, there's a really, really great, like remix album. Uh, it's called be in the mix. And there is a fantastic, I don't know if you ever listened to justice at all, but they do the justice cover of me against the music is like, you could make that. Like, because it's, it's all good. It's like guitar. Well, it's, it's obviously electronic music, but it's guitar driven. Like you can hear the synth guitar, but you could easily, you know, emulate that into being like a fucking punk song or whatever, you know, yeah. you could adapt that for like, a, you know, quote unquote acoustic instruments, if you will. Um, but uh, no, I, I I love I love that concept, and in yes, you are correct. I think it ends, you know, as far as as far as am, because it all it's eight tracks, right? And uh, American Breakfast is eight tracks. Is that correct?
2: Yep, eight songs.
0: Yeah, it's I I, I think too, you know, despite you know what we're we're basically going on a full year of being in quarantine it's like that's i feel like the one thing that bands have kind of struggled with and and artists have struggled with at least from what i've seen and from who i've talked to it's it's not necessarily that there isn't inspiration it's figuring out the best way to unleash things right Um, yeah
2: and you know i'm I was talking with a friend of mine about this who, you know, he likes my music, but he's also been quick to tell me like if something sucks or if I could do better, and he told me that he thinks that this is genuinely one of those albums that people are going to look back on in about 10 years and say, like, oh, well, this is what I was trying to emulate when I was doing my thing, and I, it's obviously too early to tell that ends up being the case, but if it is, I that would be fantastic, it would be great, and you know, it kind of sucks that John's train isn't doing anything anymore and that, you know, I'm not really working with those guys. But at the same time, I think it's better that way because it really preserves the sanctity and the beauty of what this record is all about. You got it right in one. There's no need to keep trying.
0: Well, dude, that is uh, that's perfect. That's perfect. That's how I'm going to end the interview. <laughs> that's uh, well, that's I, perfect.
2: I, well, I hate to jump in on your perfect thing, but, you know, again, I obviously love Nick and Phil and would love to work with them at some point in the future. But I think uh, now's the time to really focus on doing something a little bit different. And because, again, I got it right in one, move on to the next thing. Mm-hmm. And if the next thing ends up being like, I don't know, come on, feel the pretty lips too or whatever. So be it. Then I hope you all are ready. <laughs>